0: There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
1: My name is Captain Daniel Harris, and my years of service in Special Forces Unit have led me into countless harrowing situations. Still. Nothing could have prepared me for the chilling mission beneath the abandoned Teufelsberg radar station in Berlin. On the surface, our objective seemed straightforward. Locate the hidden Cold War era bunker rumored to contain classified secrets capable of reshaping modern geopolitics. The mission's shroud of secrecy and aura of historical enigma fueled our anticipation. Our elite team, well versed in urban exploration, Moved with calculated precision as we descended into the depths of the decaying radar station. The air was heavy with the acrid scent of dampness and decay, and our footsteps reverberated through the dimly lit corridors. Our headlamps cast eerie, flickering shadows on the graffiti-laden walls, remnants of the station's past. We finally reached a substantial steel door, cleverly concealed behind a faux wall, which led into a sprawling underground complex. It was here, in the heart of this clandestine subterranean world, that we confronted a chilling enigma. As we entered a spacious chamber, we were confronted by a creature that defied all explanation. Standing at an imposing height of nearly eight feet, it possessed the torso of a man, yet its limbs and head were reminiscent of a massive wolf or dog. Its fur was a tangled mass of dark, ashen gray, and its eyes emitted an unsettling, malevolent glow. Before we could react, the creature sprang upon us with astounding speed and ferocity. In the ensuing pandemonium, two of my comrades succumbed to the beast's savage claws, their agonized cries resonating through the underground chamber. The rest of us fought desperately to shield our fallen comrades and repel the assailant. After what seemed like an eternity, the creature withdrew, having seemingly completed its mission to protect the hidden bunker. It darted into the labyrinth and passageways, disappearing into the depths, leaving behind a scene of unspeakable horror and sorrow. We regrouped, our faces reflecting the shock and confusion that the unfathomable encounter had inflicted upon us. Despite our unnerving experience, our orders remained resolute. Find the bunker and unveil its long-guarded secrets. Though haunted by the memory of the dog-man and the comrades we had lost, we proceeded with our mission. Upon reaching the heart of the bunker, we uncovered a trove of classified documents and artifacts from the Cold War era. The treasure trove contained intelligence and technology capable of reshaping the geopolitical landscape. Our mission was an unequivocal success. Reluctantly, we made contact with our general, relaying the inconceivable encounter with this dogman type of thing. His response was fraught with skepticism, urging us to focus on the task at hand and leave the tales of monsters to folklore. Despite the doubts of our superiors, we knew the veracity of our experience beneath Teufelsberg. We resolved to resume our search for the enigmatic creature, driven by a determination to unearth the truth regarding its origins and purpose. Whether the Dogman was a product of Cold War experimentation or a more sinister force, our encounter continued to haunt our thoughts as we ventured further into the shadowy depths of the concealed bunker. It was a typical day in my Alaskan research lab when the unexpected happened. I was engrossed in my work, examining data on climate change's impact on local wildlife, when the door swung open. Startled. I looked up to find myself face to face with a team of special forces, their uniforms marked with the unmistakable insignia of the Navy SEALs. I couldn't help but crack a skeptical smile. Can I help you gentlemen with something? I asked, thinking it was a joke or some strange government experiment. The leader of the team, a weathered and stoic figure, met my gaze dead on. Dr. Parker, have you ever heard of a creature known as the Yeti or Bigfoot? I burst into laughter, thinking they were playing a prank on me. Bigfoot? Seriously? Are you guys here to investigate an urban legend? But their expressions remained unyielding, serious. We're not here to joke around, Dr. Parker. The government sent us here to find a creature, something similar to a yeti, that's been spotted roaming the Alaskan wilderness. We need your expertise. I shrugged, not taking it seriously. I've been studying Alaskan wildlife for years, and I've never seen any evidence of such a creature. It's just folklore, myths, and exaggerations. The team didn't argue further. They nodded, leaving my lab to embark on their quest. My curiosity got the best of me, and I couldn't resist trailing them from a distance as they ventured into the harsh Alaskan wilderness. It was during one frigid evening. As I watched them from behind the cover of snow-laden pines, that I witnessed something inexplicable. The forest grew eerily silent, and a shiver ran down my spine. The seals moved with a grace that defied their bulk, and then, there it was, emerging from the shadows. The creature was immense, towering at least eight feet tall. Its fur was a mottled blend of white and gray, matted and thick, clearly built to withstand the brutal Alaskan winters. Its eyes were hauntingly human, filled with a mix of curiosity and fear as it confronted the intruders in its territory. The beast's face was a blend of human and ape-like features, a fusion of the known and the unknown. Muscles rippled beneath its fur as it let out a guttural roar, echoing through the forest. This was no ordinary animal. It was something inexplicable, something beyond science and understanding. The Yeti, the Bigfoot, or whatever you wanted to call it, was very real. As the special forces engaged in a tense standoff with the creature, I couldn't help but marvel at the unexplainable phenomenon that had unfolded before my eyes. Yet, my awe was short-lived as I began to feel that some of the special forces had noticed my presence, my intrusion. With a heart pounding like a drum, I retreated into the safety of my lab, locked the door, and watched from the window as the confrontation outside intensified. The creature ultimately retreated into the dense wilderness, but the seals were determined to continue their hunt. I can't explain the events of that day, but I swear by the truth of what I saw. There, in the depths of the Alaskan wilderness, a cryptid, a being that defied scientific understanding, had become a reality. Whether it was a Yeti, a Bigfoot, or something else entirely, It was an experience that forever changed my perspective on the mysteries of the natural world and the secrets it still holds i was a baltimore police department detective and at the time in early 2021 i worked directly out of the northern district in the city on the night in question i was in my office at home late at night in suburban howard county maryland i live alone I often would find myself unable to sleep at night, so I would head to my office to work. That particular night I was going through a case file that I was working on. Then I heard an unusual noise. It was just different enough from anything I was used to hearing around the house that it caught my attention, not to mention it was around 2 o'clock in the morning. It sounded like something heavy was hitting the ground. It was coming from the yard behind the house. I stood up and I cocked my head to the side to try and pinpoint the exact location. But as I listened closer I realized that it sounded like it might actually be much closer to the house, like right outside the kitchen in the back. I stepped away from my desk and I moved towards my office door. My office was just down the hall from the kitchen. So I opened the door slowly and stepped out to investigate, but first I listened again to be sure I was correct on the direction it was coming from. Sure enough, I heard it again from the area outside the kitchen. I started to make my way down the hallway and as I got closer the noise got louder. I reached the kitchen and I looked toward the door. The noise had gone silent, almost like whatever was making the noise knew I was listening to it. I slowly and very quietly opened the door to the outside. When I did I was shocked at what I was looking at. Standing on the patio, moving around and making the noise was a creature, unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was about seven feet tall and totally covered in black and reddish-brown fur. It had a long snout with teeth protruding at odd angles. The creature turned towards me when the door opened, almost like it instinctively knew I was there. I was totally quiet when I opened the door. The creature quickly focused on me and lunged toward me hissing. I quickly stepped back inside and shut the door. I had to think fast and determine a suitable plan of action. I decided to head back to my office where I hoped to watch it undetected from my office window. I proceeded to look through the window but it wasn't long before I heard the sounds of the creature breaking into the house through the kitchen door. I pulled out my gun and I aimed it down the hallway. As I slowly opened the office door, I could hear, but not see, the creature in the kitchen. I listened as it was moving around with a lot of force and stepping heavily on the wood floor. I could also hear it snorting as it moved about. It sounded like something out of a horror film. I thought that if I just stayed quiet it might just leave, which would have been the optimal outcome. I listened to it for a while while it moved in the kitchen, but then I heard it go into the dining room. I could hear glass breaking and furniture being shoved around. It seemed to be very angry. I finally opened my office door all the way and stepped out completely into the hallway. I slowly walked towards the dining room with my gun still raised. As soon as I got close I peeked my head around the corner. It turned its head towards me and instantly started to growl. It had an angry look on its face, with a human-like expression. I sensed that it wanted to tear me apart right there. But instead of rushing and attacking me, it suddenly went silent again. It quickly rushed back to the kitchen and hurled itself out through the back door. I didn't know what to think at that point. On one hand, I was relieved that it had left, but at the same time, I somehow felt concerned that it may return at some point. I decided then and there that I would find out more about this creature. My confusion and fear turned into anger. I wanted to know who or what this thing was and why it had come into my house. I've done a lot of research mainly online. But it's been difficult to find anything that really matched what happened. I wondered why it came into the house and what it was looking for. The other descriptions online were generally similar. It was bipedal, with pointed ears, large yellow-tinged eyes, and canine-like teeth. It also had a very pungent sulfur-like odor that I can still smell in my memory. My research led to your blog, and my contacting you. I have many questions and would like to talk. I still live in the same house, but I currently work for another local law enforcement department. I have not seen the creature since that night, but I instinctively know that it still roams in my area. I wish to remain completely anonymous and discreet about my encounter. I am an avid hunter. My name is Bo and I have hunted and fished all my life. I joined the army straight out of high school, and now I work six days a week. But enough about me, y'all wanna know what true nightmares are made out of. I have found out last October hunting a new river. I had gotten up early that morning and cooked breakfast for my fiance. My fiance loves fried eggs in the morning, and I do them exactly like she likes. So we eat and I get my camel out of the bag as well as my rifle out of the cabinet. We headed out that morning, and I took my fiancé to work. Her work was on the way to New River. When we pull in, I give her a kiss, and she tells me to bring her home something good. I told her I would, and I got back in my jacked-up Chevy 2500. The trip to the mountain was as gorgeous as always, and the Tennessee backroads are amazing and beautiful. So I got to my spot, but it was so eerily quiet that morning. Around noon, I decided to go to the truck and grab a sandwich and another bottle of water. So I eat a peanut butter and syrup sandwich my fiancé made me while I was getting ready. She even had time to write me a note, and basically said she loved me and was happy that we were together, since it was only one month out from having our little girl, and she was just an amazing old lady. After I got done, I decided to walk to the tree stand again. On my walk back in the woods, I start to have this feeling of dread that something is wrong, that something just isn't right. But I brush it off, thinking maybe it's just nerves since this is hog country after all, and I've been chased on the road before that I'm walking on. But this just kept getting worse and worse. I started getting deeper down the ridge, closer to my stand, and I hear a twig break, and I stop. Now, me being an experienced hunter, I notice movement in this thicket just about 50 or so yards away. I notice this brown shape moving out towards me. So I crouched down, ready my rifle, and I trained my rifle on the color. When I get to noticing that this thing is grunting, so I'm thinking yes, a big buck. God, was I wrong? The thing slowly walked out closer and closer, and I realized that wow, This creature is so massive, it's way bigger than a deer on all fours. So I'm thinking, okay, an elk is walking out, cool. But I noticed its head and the shape is all wrong. It slowly starts walking out, and all of a sudden it stops and stands up. I mean on two legs, it's easily 8 feet tall. But because I'm 6'6", the thicket is just above my head, and this thing's almost a foot to 2 feet above it. It starts sniffing the air, and its head snaps right to my direction. I freeze up at that moment, feeling like I'm concreted to the ground. The wolf thing that I was looking at was beginning to let out this real deep, almost demonic-like growl. It starts snarling, showing its teeth towards me. I, being army trained, realize if it charges, I'm only getting one shot at this thing, so I'd have to make it count. All of a sudden, It begins to tear through the bushes on all fours again. I realize the movie Van Halen's Werewolf is charging at me at full speed. I realized I'm in big trouble, and I hear this branch break behind me. I look over my shoulder and see that there is a second larger wolf behind me on two legs. It is easily nine feet tall, built like a bodybuilder, with jet black fur. It drops to all fours and starts running full speed towards me but this one was a lot closer. I spin around and see that this thing is too fast for me to unsafely shoot it with my rifle. I jump out of the way of this monstrous beast charging me. I end up hitting the hard rocks and slid into the red clay mud, just to realize it already crossed the roadbed I'd been walking on, and the Thule wolves are set on a collision course. When the bigger black wolf hits the lighter brown wolf, he tackles the brown wolf to the ground, as they are rolling down the hill, clawing and biting and slamming each other into the hard ground. The smaller brown wolf kicks and paws from the bottom when its back claws rip the big black wolf's stomach wide open and throws him off onto the ground. The brown wolf then turns to me, its gnarls, and starts charging again at full speed. I am awestruck by the power of the wolf and the sheer size of it as it's on its way towards me. But the big black wolf slams the brown one from behind, running its arm through the brown one's side, picking it up and clamps its massive jaws on a shoulder as it throws the brown one down away from me. It lands and rolls about 10 yards and jumps up, running away back through the brush. I let out the breath I didn't even realize I was holding in at that moment. I look at the now bloody and beaten, ripped open black wolf, which is standing with blood dripping off its back claws and glistening white teeth, dripping with the blood of the brown wolf. And for some reason, it registers to me that I have to show that I am no threat to the king of the mountain. I lower the rifle down away from me, and as I do this, this thing smirks at me, lets out an ear-shattering roar that turns into a howl as it looks into my soul. I see the eyes of a beast, and I can understand that it was there to show it was the alpha, And as long as I showed him respect, he will not be a threat. It turned to drop on all fours and ran away after the other. I instantly take off running, luckily for me and the army had allowed for me to stay in great shape. I take off of the ridge and make it to the truck. As soon as I get to the door, I realize there's blood all over the side of my truck. I hesitate to look, but I had to know. I flip the rifle safety off ready to blast anything that jumps up from the bed of the truck. I realize there is a big dead doe laying in the bed of my truck that has had its neck broken. I jump in, start the truck, spin it around, throwing gravel into rooster, I'm tearing us out of the woods, and I fly all the way down the mountain through the back roads and don't stop until I reach in myrrh. My fiancé can tell I'm shaken up, so she ends up taking me home. I tell her everything. But we decide to tell everyone that I hit the doe with my truck and I got spooked by it because who would believe me, right? That is until I got to hearing other people who have seen this massive animal as well. So I thought that this would be the best way for me to get this story off my chest and not get told I'm crazy or lying or making it up. I just wanted to warn every hunter and hiker around that we ain't the top of the food chain or the king of the mountain because the king of the mountain is a truly massive beast who has no predators. Thanks again for helping me get this story off my chest. Now let me tell you about my second encounter. I have the bigfoot encounter where me and my fiance had seen that same wolfman. We have been going hunting in New River again. We have seen a family of bigfoot for three or four years now. They have never been aggressive or anything like that. They show respect and are generally curious creatures. There are four Bigfoot in the area. The big male is jet black and about 9 to 10 foot tall. He looks like a jacked hair man. The second largest is a female about 8 foot tall, a light brown color with black stripes down her shoulders and back. The two smaller ones are between 6 and 8 foot tall, both lighter brown. There is one male and one female juvenile. The young male is a dark brown with a light brown patch on his chest. The young female is a light golden brown and absolutely gorgeous in color. We usually see them all together as a family unit or the two males going out together. It looks as if they have both been on the deer trails or the gravel and dirt roads too across the area. They are all very curious. They have been known to walk up close within 50 yards or so, whooping and chirping. Me and my fiancé we've had a blast seeing them and getting them used to us being in the area. We have built a cabin down in the holler of the ridge. This cabin in the woods is set next to a gorgeous place set between creek's branches, but in a way that we can get a vehicle to the door. We started first seeing the male, and that was nervous because it isn't too far from where I had seen the two dogmen fighting originally. Shortly after, we got to seeing the full family. They'd check out the truck or look in the windows at night to see if we were cooking there. For a while, my fiancé was scared of them, and then she realized that they were just curious. It has been amazing to see the young ones playing around in the creek on hot summer days. The big male lying in the cool mud with the big female laid up in the shade, while the two youngsters play, splashing and rolling in mud, and even throwing mud. Once the young male ran up behind me while I was fixing a tree stand that was sitting in the bed of my Chevy 2500. He scared me with the loud steps running up behind me. Then he let out a rather strange whoop, almost as if he said, boo, as he said, "who," I jumped around, startled, and the young one was standing there, laughing like a little fat feller, who would be holding his stomach, kind of like a backwoods Satan-style laugh. I laughed at him and said, you little ex. The big male walked up and grunted towards him. He waved and ran away. My fiancé had stepped out on the porch when she had heard the sound and waited to see them some more, since it's been the second time that morning that they'd been around. She's seen me and the big male standing only ten yards away from each other. He dwarfed me. I've seen her face, and it showed she was nervous, if not scared. It was a bit shocking to see him so up close. That happened close enough to smell his musky aroma. Last weekend, I noticed he got a new open wound on his chest. It was four big claws down his burly, leathery chest. We left some fruit that was going bad out for him so he could get to it a bit easier, so he'd heal up because it showed me that he would protect the area. This weekend, we went up again but didn't hear them or see them anywhere. I was honestly kind of worried that something happened to him, and that the family would be in trouble. So I kept looking for them. That Friday night, not seeing them all night long, the next morning my fiancé and I got up and had breakfast. We went hunting up the ridge just a ways and had a wonderful day together. We always have been side by side. Her love of hunting just made her so much more attractive to me. I honestly am the luckiest man in the world to have her as my partner. Saturday evening, we got back down to the camp, and we noticed something had been through the leaves all around the camp. It gave us a bit of hope that they're all okay. We had then gotten ready for supper, started cooking as the sun was setting. In New River, it gets pitch black dark in just a few moments. My fiancé had stepped out to the porch to go grab me a bottle of Jack out of the truck. And I heard the door open on the truck. I heard it slam as she came running through the door. And I dropped everything, and I hurried to make sure that she's okay. And she was standing there saying that she thought our big male neighbor was coming up the creek bed towards us. So we decided to turn the camp stove down so we could step outside to watch him approach. So as we are standing there, I light a cigarette and hand it to my fiancé as I light my own. I realized he is walking kinda weird and not sounding good. His normal strong, crisp-sounding grunts are sounding more deep and raspier. I take the bag of fruit out of the back truck, and we walk down closer to the creek bed. We creep back up the creek bank towards camp. As we are, the critter is coming closer to me. Not knowing, I stepped into a hole where one of the young ones had grabbed a clump of mud and thrown it. I hit the ground hard as I was stepping backward, and I stood back up quickly. Trying not to spook the Bigfoot with my pain groan. My fiance turned and helped me back to my feet, but as she turned her back from the animal, my heart sank as I saw the deep pitch black wolf man that had won the fight before with the brown wolf. He starts picking up a pace towards us. And in that moment, I jumped to my feet. I told my fiance to run, that I'd hold it off as long as I could. Its massive body jumps through the creek still at an incredible speed. So I put myself between the beast and I and my old lady, the love of my life. I couldn't let anything happen to her. So I am putting myself in front, yelling this primal roar I never knew I had from the deepest place of my soul. The wolfman, breaking out of the water on a full sprint towards me as I have gotten his attention. Now. I draw a bowie knife out of this sheath my grandfather had left over from the Vietnam War. At this moment, knowing I'm going to die, as he would destroy me, all of a sudden, there is a roar from the top of the hill. Standing proud, the young female was roaring and beating her chest as the wolfman stops. So do I to see the new creature trying to enter the fray. My fiancé stops on a dime, and she was staring at me with tears in her eyes. As I realize that she has the hunting rifle from the bed of the truck, the wolf starts to snarl and growl. He realizes he's in trouble, and he bats me away onto my back. My fiancé takes a shot and shoots him. The shot goes into the chest, but it barely grazes him. As my fiancé comes running up to me and having another gun with her, handing it to me, We realized that the young female and young male standing across the creek had started throwing rocks at the wolfman. I start backing up slowly towards my fiancé, as the big male Bigfoot and the alpha wolfman hit into this devastating brawl. The wolf, clawing and slashing, the big male proudly standing there. He grabbed the wolf by the throat and held him back, as the two youngsters are pelting the wolfman with rocks. The male swinging its massive large arms down on the wolf, and dropping it to its knees. But as that's going on, the wolf slashes the Bigfoot's legs, dropping him to his knees. The Bigfoot and Wolfman both being dropped to their knees. And as the Bigfoot hits its knees, it lets out a pained bellow. The Wolfman jumps on top of him. Then one of the other Bigfoot swings a down tree and smashes the Wolfman right in the head, as it flips backwards, she swings, breaking the log across its stomach. He jumps and runs away. The female making a delicate chirping and clicking as she kneels down to the male, the young ones across the creek to reunite with the two larger family members. My fiancé is running to my side, wrapping me in a hug and holding me, saying that she's so proud of me and is just thankful that I'm okay. And we get to tearing down the mountain, every bump reminding me of my bruised ribs, I thanked her for coming back for me, and we get to the main road. She leans over, gives me a kiss, and we get the hell out of Dodge. I am in summer camp and something is throwing people off trees. A little introduction before we begin. My friends and I have been going to summer camp every year. Tom, Jack, Susan and Emily are my friends who have been accompanying me since forever. We are high school students. This time we chose a different camp. It was called Camp Jacob and it's on a small island called Jacob's Isle. We traveled to Jacob's Isle on a ferry. It is about three and a half hour journey from the mainland and the first thing we noticed was that there is no cell reception here. David is the leader of the summer camp and he has a satellite phone for communication with the ferry and mainland. We hiked till the camp. It was a half-hour hike. We saw the establishment was amazing. There were two dozen small huts made of wood. The main building was no different. The main building was in the middle of the camp and it comprised of a common room, kitchen, dining room, a storage room and an infirmary. Twelve huts each on either side of the main building. Each hut had two bunk beds and can fit four people. Tom, Jack and I got in hut 7 along with fellow camper Ashwin. Emily and Susan went to hut 21. All four corner huts, 1,12,13,24 were occupied by them. We were to unpack and meet the others in 30 minutes where we shall make a bonfire for the evening. It was a fun experience. We have made friends with Ashwin and we also met the girls sharing the hut with Susan and Emily. They were Lily and Rose. Lily and Rose were cousins. We had dinner and were told that we would go to the sunrise point in the morning and so we have to wake up by 4.30am as the sunrise is at 5.45am. It is a half hour hike and it wasn't easy to get up so early. We started the hike at 5 am and were told it was about 10 minutes away but in reality it took twice the time. We were on the east coast of the island. It was a beach of white sand. This was my new favorite place Jack had his camera out to capture the moment when the sun rises. It was a beautiful sight and worth waking up early. We hiked back to the camp through the forest when we heard a growling sound. It was scary. The counselors huddled us and escorted us back to the camp. I could see that they were nervous. We were told to go to the main building for breakfast. I saw David and three others went scouting north of the camp. The other counselors were smiling but they were tensed. What do you think that sound was? I asked. It was scary. I don't care what it was and I don't want to know, Susan replied. only that it should stay away from us, Emily said. Come on, Peter. Don't scare the girls, Tom laughed. Yeah, it can be a bird or something. The forest can make it sound scarier, Ashwin said with conviction. I disagree. Something scary is out there. Check this out, Jack gestured us to take a look at his camera. The small LCD screen wasn't so easy to look at, but Emily saw what Jack wanted to show. It took a lot of pointing and zooming before I could see the red dots behind the trees. Jack thought they were eyes. I thought they were lens flares or something. This is not a scary movie alright. It must be some lens flare thingy. I said, but deep down I was scared too. Susan queried, guys where is Lily and Rose? Must be somewhere here, Ashwin said. I haven't seen them after we came back to camp, Tom responded in a worried manner. Come Susan. Let's check the hut out. Emily grabbed on Susan's hand and they went to find Lily and Rose. No sooner did they leave the common room did we hear the same growling sound followed by loud shrieks. We ran outside to see Emily fainted and Susan holding her. Then I saw the lifeless body of Rose. Blood splattered everywhere. As if she has jumped from a tall building. Another bone chilling growl and then I froze. I saw Lily flying. Something had thrown her from a tree and she came crashing down just beside Rose. I couldn't scream. This was something which I had never expected to witness. This couldn't be a dream as I don't have the imagination to imagine something as gruesome as this. The counselors came running out and asked us to check if anyone else is missing. It was a huge mess. Everyone was shouting. It took some time for us to settle down. We were scared to death. The bodies were moved to the infirmary in the main building. Everyone else was accounted for. David and the three others who left with him returned and they called the mainland for the ferry. The camp was obviously canceled. The growling continued. We were told to pack up our stuff and we would leave after three hours. It wasn't easy to wait for three long hours. We have to hike south to go to the dock. They should send the army to kill this thing, Emily said still shaking. The growling continued. Maybe this thing is given birth or something and felt threatened when we came here, Susan said. Stop trying to justify murder, I shouted. I know she was just trying to help. Trying to make sense of it all. But, I was scared shitless. I am sorry. I am just scared, I apologized. Susan put her hand on mine it's okay. I understand. We were all called outside and David announced, given the circumstances. We will not hike to the dock. We will wait here for help to arrive. The sheriff's department along with the forest rangers will be arriving soon and they will escort us out of here. Till then, stay here and stay quiet. Please don't wander off anywhere. If you have to go back to the hut then inform a counselor. Don't go out alone. This was good news. After a few tense hours, we were escorted out to the ferry and returned home. On the way back, we were told it was a bear, which must have done it, but it was a bizarre scenario. No one has ever heard anything like this before. I don't buy it one bit. Something is definitely wrong in that Island. I have promised myself no more summer camps, but I still have nightmares. And I feel that I am back at the camp. It is night time and something is throwing me down from the top of a tree. I'll never forget that fateful day in Illinois six years ago, the day I stood at the grave of my beloved wife, Lulu. Her passing had been sudden, a cruel twist of fate that had ripped her from my life. It was a pain I thought I would never recover from, and I was there at the funeral, watching in disbelief as the casket was lowered into the cold earth. The sound of dirt hitting the coffin lid haunted me for years. Life had other plans for me, and I soon found myself in Kansas, trying to leave behind the memories of Lulu. I had been living there for three years, merely going through the motions of existence. There was nothing extraordinary about this part of my story. Such things happen every day. But then came the strange part, the inexplicable events that have left me puzzled and restless. It all started when I received a letter from my old home in Illinois, postmarked and signed with Lulu's name, unmistakably in her handwriting. I was certain of it because I compared it with letters she had written me before our marriage, letters I had kept as precious mementos. In that letter, Lulu claimed to be lonely and missing me terribly, urging me to return to her. But it contained a sentence that sent shivers down my spine. You all thought I died, but I did not, and am much better than when I saw you last. I couldn't fathom what that meant. How could someone who had been buried come back to life? Initially, I believed it to be a sick joke, perhaps the work of some friends back in Illinois. However, as more letters arrived, my unease grew. These letters, filled with affection and longing, provided no answers only more questions. One particularly unnerving letter reached me from Concordia, Kansas, near where I used to live before coming to Nebraska. The writer lamented the fact that I had left before she could reach me, and the handwriting remained identical to Lulu's. This couldn't be a prank, it was something more sinister and inexplicable. My anxiety grew, and I sent some of the letters back to Lulu's parents, who confirmed the handwriting as their daughters but were as mystified as I was. Frustration gnawed at me, pushing me to address one of the letters to Mrs. W.S. Amison. That letter, too, came back, returned from the dead letter office. The last letter, received about three weeks ago, was dated from Table Rock, Nebraska, and stated that Lulu was there, sick and in dire need of help. I rushed to Table Rock, determined to get to the bottom of this bizarre mystery. Upon my arrival, I learned that a woman matching Lulu's description had been staying at a local hotel. She was sick, rarely leaving her room, and departed suddenly without revealing her destination. The hotel register had an entry under the name Mrs. Lulu Amison, with no address provided. It was the same handwriting, and the woman's description closely matched that of my dear Lulu from the last time I had seen her. Frustration and confusion gave way to a resolute determination. I decided to return to Illinois and had Lulu's remains exhumed, only to find her as she had been buried years ago. There was no mistaking that fact. Now, I stand at the crossroads of this inexplicable enigma, and my curiosity and apprehension gnaw at me. Who had been sending those letters? and who was the woman who had been using Lulu's name. I am not a superstitious man, but this bewildering mystery has shaken me to my core. My reputation remains untarnished, and my employer vouches for my character. Should I receive any more letters, I am resolved not to let them torment me but to uncover the truth behind this eerie riddle. And when I do, I have promised to share my findings with the world. I'm writing today because I just read the story from the lady who is claiming the moth man lived in her backyard. I don't completely disbelieve her claims as I'm in no position to do so. That's up to you and your investigators. I do know we have lots of underground creatures and many unexplained things in the woods. I wanted to tell you about an experience I had when I still lived back home in Wayne, West Virginia. It was around 2003. It was fall, I think. Being that I grew up in the WV mountains, I've always been aware of the stories of the Mothman, creatures similar to the Mothman, and what my great grandmother called panthers. I don't know what these panthers really were, but she had a ton of stories about her father having to outsmart them and keep them away while traveling through the woods to get to town. I know she wasn't describing a mountain lion or bobcat. We all know what those are, and as far as I know those hills aren't roaming grounds for mountain lions. They always said these creatures were vicious. They'd snatch who and whatever they could. However, they were afraid of fire. So, it's fall. My ex-husband and I had been at my aunt's house for a birthday party. She lives on a country road with the mountains behind the house. For miles, there's nothing but woods back there. We were the first to leave. It was around dusk, And I was following my ex-husband out to the car while carrying my two-year-old son. Right before we reached the car we were stopped dead in our tracks by the creepiest sound I have ever heard. It was so loud, echoing off the hills. It sounded very similar to a woman screaming bloody murder, just like the stories my great-grandmother told, but was definitely not a woman. It was one of those sounds that just feels ominous and sends those cold chills down your spine. I looked at my ex-husband and could tell it frightened him, that's what scared me more than anything. He was an avid woodsman and hunter. He knew the woods, could happily live in a tent in the woods, and wasn't afraid of much in life in general. I started searching the tree line with my eyes just trying to see if I could see it. I could feel it staring right down at us. Yet, we were both kind of frozen in shock. Then. He gave me a look and told me to get my son and myself in the car immediately. I did but thought we probably should have told everyone in the house to be careful when they went to leave. That was the only time in the 25 years I lived in WV that I heard that sound. Though, I continued to hear stories over the years. I don't know what that thing really is, and I don't want to find out personally. I also had a neighbor in 2006 that told me some pretty scary stuff. She said she was living in a house on Buffalo Creek Road. In Wayne County, West Virginia. This is a back road. Woods and mountains on both sides. My family owned quite a bit of land out there. There were mounds up on the mountains where the Native Americans buried their dead. She said there was an old cabin a little ways behind and to the right of the house. She was there alone. It was dark and getting late, so she decided to go to bed. She said as soon as she turned the lights off, she started hearing lots of racket coming from the cabin. Like pots and pans clanging together, glass breaking, etc. She thought it was a group of rowdy teens messing around in there. So, she went out on the porch and yelled to tell them to hit the road. The noise stopped, but she didn't see any kids. She went back in to grab a flashlight and went closer to the cabin to investigate. She could see something dark move past the windows. She shined the light in and it apparently looked right out the window at her. She booked it back to the house and locked herself in. She described it as mothman-like but she didn't think for sure that's what it was. She said it was pure evil. You could feel it. She said it was taller than her. All dark in color. Red eyes. Walked upright. I believed her. She wasn't one to make things up and she was clearly frightened to tell the story. To make matters worse, that wasn't the last encounter that she had with the creature. There was another night when she was babysitting her nieces and nephews. She said it came up on the porch and started pacing back and forth. You could hear the boards creak with every step. They locked everything up and all ran into her bedroom and locked themselves in. They all were huddled together on the bed when it came around to the window. I guess it wrapped on the window and scratched at it. They literally all hid under the covers. I guess they were all screaming and freaking out. She said it eventually went back to the front porch and was there until close to dawn. It wasn't long after that they moved. Now, I will say that I loved being in those woods on Buffalo Creek. During the day, we always had fun. We'd find arrowheads and all kinds of different treasures the Indians left behind. At night, however, we wanted to be inside. I hated the back room. Closest to the woods, my great-grandfather built several houses on that road. My family still lives there. It just always felt like there was something out there at night. The natural noises would get quiet all of a sudden. It just always seemed scary at night. Even as an adult, I would run from the car to the house. I don't know what's out there but I'd say there are too many stories and witnesses to discount it. The strange incident took place near Powelton, West Virginia in December 1934. I was eight years old. At the time, my father worked for Elkhorn Piney Coal in McDon. He and the other miners would take a train to the mine each day. The day before Christmas Eve my father mentioned an unusual sighting he and the others on the train had while traveling back to Powelton from the mine that evening. As they looked out towards the east they noticed a very large bird flying above the trees. My father was a very simple man and didn't believe in any nonsense but this large bird really caught his attention. He described it as a freakish sized owl very dark in color. The sky was getting dark but they could still make out the large form. He said it also looked at the train as it flew over the trees. Nobody on the train could figure out what it was. The mere fact that my father even mentioned it suggested that it must have been an unusual sight. My father was scheduled off from work for three days during the Christmas holiday. On December 27th, he was getting ready for work but said he felt poorly. My mother was concerned because he had a high fever and awful chills. She insisted he stay home and telephone the doctor. My father was reluctant to stay home and put up a good argument but my mother was not going to back down. She put him to bed and waited for the doctor. Well, we waited for hours until the telephone rang. The operator told my mother that the doctor was at McDon, there had been a horrible train explosion. She couldn't talk but said that the doctor's wife asked her to contact us. My mother was pale when she told my father what had happened. I remember they both started praying and crying. For years both of them thought the large bird was an angel sent by God as a warning and that my father's life was saved for a reason. My father never went back to the mine. It turned out that he had contracted polio though he was very lucky since he survived it with only a slight limp. We soon moved away to a small town in Kentucky where my father found the calling and became a Pentecostal preacher. He told his story of survival to anyone who would listen until the day he died. I happened to read your stories while looking on the internet with my great-grandson. I always assumed my father saw something more divine. That's what he always believed. I'm not so sure now. Around 1994 I was living near Nashville, Tennessee in a small neighborhood called Antioch. This is in Davidson County. I was out walking my dog one day letting the dog do its business out in the front yard when I could sense something was watching me. It was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon and everyone around there was at work except me. I could just feel something watching me. I started looking at the woods directly in front of me. I couldn't see anything. But I did hear leaves rustling in the trees. So I started looking up towards the tops of the trees. The only way I could describe it, and I don't even know if the movie had come out yet, was the cloaked alien in the predator film. In the movie, they saw that invisible creature where you could see the outline of everything but you can see right through it. It was sitting up in the very tops of the trees where it wouldn't hold the weight of a man by any means. This thing was as big as a man. I just stood there looking at it when I saw a quick flash of its eyes. It was a sudden bright yellow glow. I let go of the leash and I took off on a dead run towards this thing. It literally started running across the tops of the trees. I know what I saw. While running, I thought about what I was doing. I then thought what in the world are you doing chasing this thing? I stopped and it stopped, about a length of a football field away from where it started. It turned around and looked at me again with the flashing yellow eyes and then it took off out through the woods through the tops of the trees out into the deeper woods. I didn't see it again. It scared the hell out of me. I never ever told anybody about it because I thought people would think I was crazy. This occurred in September 2022 in the Wood Creek Reserve neighborhood in Katy. It was approximately 11:30 pm so i saw this girl standing by the side of the road she looked like she may have been a preteen i pulled over because i thought i could help her she was just standing there and i thought it was weird that a kid would be standing by the side of the road that time of night so i pulled over to see if i could help the first thing i did is i called it in when i looked up she had moved and she was in front of the patrol car standing in the headlights She was looking at me. She didn't seem afraid or worried and I thought that was weird, so I told dispatch. I went to get out of the car and just as I was starting to open my door I saw her eyes. At that point, I didn't want to get out of the car. I realized that her eyes were totally black. I mean completely black. She must have seen that I realized that because she started to approach the car. It took everything I could do not to drive away at that point. I mean, I'm a peace officer of the law. It's my job but it was this visceral thing that just took over. I can't describe it but all of my training had just gone out the window. Everything in me just wanted to get the hell away from that girl, but I stayed. I rolled down the window. As she approached me I asked her where she lived and she mumbled something. I leaned forward and then she suddenly attacked me. This ungodly voice was then coming out of her. I had no idea how a human could make that voice but I was trying to push her off of me. She was trying to pull me out of the car. I was screaming at her to get off me get off me and then she said something. I can't get those words out of my mind. She said, we're going to die tonight. Why would she say that to me? I struggled to break her grip. Then I heard a loud crack. Then she went limp and she fell onto the road. I thought that I may have seriously hurt her. I quickly got out of the car to see if she was okay. Then, suddenly, she stood up like nothing had happened and she ran away into the dark night. But I could hear her laughing. She was not human, I'm telling you. When I got back to the station, I told my supervisor what had happened. He told me to ignore it and to not write up an incident report. I still patrol the same area. I believe that she is still out there, roaming in the night. She was just not human. These incidents took place during my childhood years up until the day I graduated from high school in La Crosse, Wisconsin. We lived in an old three-story brownstone apartment building with a basement apartment. The whole building was owned by the family. Initially, My grandmother's sister lived in the basement with her family and her two brothers occupied the second floor. My family was on the first main floor and my grandmother was on the third floor. She believed in the superstition that if you moved down a level if you lived in an apartment you would soon die. She continued to climb the three flights of stairs even though she was very arthritic. As the years passed by her sister and her immediate family eventually moved out and the two brothers on the middle floor passed away. The basement level was now empty and my mother, father, sister, brother, and I continued to live on the first floor. The second floor was empty and my grandmother still resided alone on the third floor. There was never a thought of renting the vacant rooms. On several nights, While we were asleep, out of nowhere the front door would slam waking everyone up. After a few seconds, there would be footsteps moving up the metal stairs followed by footsteps, shuffling and creaking above us on the second floor. My father would jump up and rush to see who broke into the house. No one was ever there of course and things would be quiet again for a few weeks and then it would happen all over again. The apartment was usually cold and drafty so we would all stand next to a wood stove in the pantry because it was our heat source. On several occasions, we would see a faint apparition of someone walking towards the stove. Once in a while we would think someone had come home and would say hello only to be greeted by nothing. When I turned 10 years old my mother was sleeping on the third level to help care for my grandmother. My mother recalled one incident when she woke and saw me standing beside her bed. She asked what I wanted, I turned, walked away, and disappeared. There was another incident where she rushed out of the bathroom on the first floor and was frantic because she heard her mom scream for her. My sister and I were shocked because we didn't hear anything. On another occasion, my grandmother's aunt had been sick and was in the hospital. We were driving home and my mother was resting her head against the window when suddenly she rose up and shouted oh my god, aunt Jane just died. I just saw her face. My father looked at the clock and it was about 7 pm. When we got home the charge nurse was calling to let us know that she had passed away at the exact time. The most memorable incident happened when my brother and I were talking about the weird stuff that had occurred in the house over the years. I said, yeah like the old guy who used to watch us sleep. I was sort of half joking since I wasn't sure if he had ever known since it was never brought up between us. He turns and answers you mean the guy that stood behind the dresser in the living room, who leaned over with his hands behind his back. As he was talking he, duplicated the way the apparition moved exactly. That really freaked me out. This has happened in a village in Bangladesh. Basically a 13-year-old girl apparently met a figure while going to the toilet at school. She then started to talk to herself. Got sick and body bloated up within three months then died. Parents could not afford to have her tested in hospital. Now parents and two remaining siblings are acting strangly, both siblings are also sick. Saying they all will also go, telling all visitors to get lost. Basically the family lives next door to our family home. Money has been offered for hospital treatment. Thought I would share. This is second hand information, which my mother got. I personally think an supernatural entity caused this in first place. We'll provide update if possible. Thought I would share my first post. I'm a retired 62-year-old dairy farmer. Back in 1980 an old girlfriend and I wanted to spotlight some deer. Around 11 p.m. we turned on a road and I turned the light on along the driver's side. At about 150-200 to yards was someone or something walking in an alfalfa field moving up a slight hill. When I hit it with the light it turned a little and looked at us. It was dark colored from head to toe. I can't remember if there was any eye shine or not. It never changed its speed of walking. If it was a man you would think it would have waved or something and would have probably had a flashlight. Anyway, my girlfriend freaked out and screamed to get the hell out of there, so I did. I got down the road about a quarter mile and realized that I had the binoculars right on the dash and in all the commotion I forgot to use them. Just two years ago I came across a comment about a sighting about the same year by a bow hunter. It's just down the road about two miles from where we saw that thing. When Close Encounters of the Third Kind was released my aunt was in town, me starting elementary school. I went with my aunt and grandparents to see it. Aunt Jan started acting all freaked out during the movie, I thought, Whatever, she was the hippie in our uptight family. After we got home Aunt Jan blurted out, those were the things talking to me from my bedroom TV as a kid on the farm. My grandparents did the parental look and finally my grandmother said, Jan, we didn't own a single TV when we lived there. They came to your window. That surprised me. My dad and mom moved into the farm after my grandparents built their new house. My bedroom was once Aunt Jan's. I never saw anything. My dad was driving from San Diego, California to Lubbock, Texas and while driving across White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico, yes, you once could cross, he experienced four hours of lost time but had a full tank of gas on the other side. Skip to about three years later. The southern high rolling plains of Texas, near Lubbock, had a serious amount of cattle mutilations. Many across the railroad tracks from our farm, home. Mom was a veterinarian and was called out by the sheriff to do necropsies. Zero footprints, not even the bovines, zero blood on the ground, yet none in the animals, reproductive organs removed, and no bleeding around said wounds. Laser surgery did not exist back then. The press called it satanic. But if so, where was the blood and footprints? A full-grown bull is an easy half-ton plus, gallons of blood. Yet not a drop was found. Taking a half-ton bull to the ground isn't easy, even for the best cowboy. We were told by the public school system that we were part of an intelligence test. It started in the sixth grade. USAF officers, my granddad was USAF, I know USAF, would show up 2x per year and give us the test. There were only 14 of us. We all topped 160 on the IQ test. Outside of band or sports, we were sequestered from all our classmates. We had our own classes. I went on to work in hospital finance. Several of my classmates went to MIT and Stanford. I'm an American. Me and my ex were traveling down a simple highway in the countryside of Scotland. The highway we were on, a 8-2 I believe, was situated in between Loch Ness and a forest. It was a narrow, winding road in a remote area. There had been nothing around for many miles, including other vehicles. We were both in quite a good mood, listening to a podcast or news radio, in a happy space, like being on autopilot. Anyway. As we rounded a corner, an old woman appeared seemingly out of nowhere and she appeared to be screaming at us and gesturing exaggeratedly toward the other side of the road. We were shocked to see her, obviously, and my ex tensed up but didn't react except to adjust our lane quickly. We were driving on the wrong side of the road. No sooner than we switched lanes and we made it to the next bend in the highway, an 18-wheeler came hauling ass around the curve. Had we not moved over, we would have been dead on the spot. After we made it through this moment, we debriefed, my ex is a devout skeptic, and neither one of us had an explanation, and we never spoke of it again. The old woman had shoulder-length grey hair and I don't remember what she was wearing, but she looked plain outside of her appearing spontaneously. I don't have a logical explanation of where she could have come from. I doubt that Scotland employs a special fleet of feral woodland traffic grandmas. It was a couple years ago around July, I started waking up with my blankets and pillows thrown off my bed, and sometimes while I was going to bed I would feel like I can only describe as pinching and zapping, like something was zapping me. But what made me extremely suspicious was I was reading a book one night and I grabbed my cup of water on the side of the bed and specifically remember drinking the last drop and putting it down on my dresser. I went to bed and when I woke up I went to school and the day went on as normal, but when it was night again I walked into my room and my cup and been filled with water. I told my family about it and they had no idea, I can't see them filling up my water either. I was extremely suspicious and I started sleeping with a Bible under my pillow because I always felt like something was watching me while I slept. I don't have a record of sleepwalking, so I don't think it's that but maybe. I've been looking into it and can't come up with a solution. What do you think?